0: The prodigal son. The prodigal son. It's such a strong story in the gospel that it has become a colloquialism. Right? We talk about the prodigal son has returned. It's such a well-known story. It's almost as if it is in us, each one of us sons and daughters of someone. I can't help this morning but tell you that Both times when I read it at eight and then just now as Deb read it for us today, it brought me to tears. Can you tell that I have two teenage children? It is such a relatable story. Sometimes we identify with the prodigal son, the one who leaves home and then squanders all of their parents' property. Or sometimes we might identify with that one brother who says, Are you kidding? You just threw a party for him? What about me? Or maybe we are the parent. The parent who has an endless well of compassion for their children. Or maybe we have received a well so deep and so broad that we know the experience of that compassion. None of us doubt that the work of reconciliation is some of the hardest work we will do in our lives. We know, usually from experience, that there are no guarantees. No guarantee that we'll be welcomed back, no promise of forgiveness, that our search for reconciliation is full of risks, requiring a certain amount of humility, vulnerability, and courage from every single one of us. And that, I think, is the power behind the parable, that this story makes a way for reconciliation, even in the midst of our brokenness. But the story Jesus tells is not only about us and our relationships with one another. Jesus tells the story to the Pharisees and the scribes because they are grumbling. They're upset because Jesus is spending all this time with tax collectors and sinners. We might call these folks the offenders or the objectionables, Tax collectors work for Rome. They are agents of the oppressors. And sinners Sinners are those folks, you know, the ones, the notorious ones. I mean, let's just let our imaginations run wild. And Jesus is cavorting with those people, the very people who the Pharisees and the scribes deem absolutely unwelcome and they don't like it. And Jesus turns to them, and he actually tells them three stories. You know at least one of them, because you know the prodigal son, and you know this other one. Once upon a time, there was a shepherd who had a hundred sheep, and one of the sheep gets lost. And so the shepherd leaves the 99 behind, searching throughout all the wilderness for that one lost sheep and when the shepherd finds the lost sheep they carry it home they bring it back to the fold and they have a great big party for they have found their lost sheep it is an absolutely absurd story i mean What shepherd do you know, if you know any, that would put the entire herd at risk on behalf of this one not-so-bright sheep who managed to get itself lost? It would be a tremendous economic risk. It makes no sense whatsoever. And then they have a party for the sheep. A party for sheep. Then he says... And once upon a time, there was a woman. She lost a coin. She had 10 coins, but she lost this one. And so she searched her entire house from top to bottom, swept every baseboard. And when she found that one coin, she was so happy. She rushed out and told all of her neighbors about this one lost coin that she'd found. And then they had a party to celebrate the lost coin. Now, I will tell you that that parable seems a little bit more believable to me because how many times have you purchased something from Goodwill or uh, done the laundry in your house and reached in a pocket and found a quarter and thought, I got a quarter. Or a $10 bill or a $100 bill if you're having really a really good day. And then you think, how am I going to spend this money I just found? This is so great. I mean, at minimum, I'm running to my husband to say, we're going out to dinner. Well, there's one important difference between those parables and today's gospel. The parable of the prodigal son is about human relationships of father and his son's. Of course we have animals that we love and cherish. And our money does bring value to our lives and our human experience. But there is nothing that compares with our human relationships. The way we share our lives with one another brings us incredible deep joy and sometimes incredible pain. Jesus knows this. He experiences these joys and disappointments in his own life. And so he responds to the Pharisees and scribes with a story that's about them. Except it's not really about human relationships. Like all the parables that come before it, the prodigal son is about our relationship with God. The parable tells us some important things about God, mainly mainly that God's reality is different from ours. The father in the parable does way more than accept the son's apology. In fact, he welcomes the son home before he can even apologize. Now, I've been spending a lot of time with the father in this story, curious about his temperament wondering about what happens in the time between. What we do know is that as the son approaches home, his father rushes to greet him. This is more than apology accepted, welcome home. This is a great feast, the best calf, the finest robe. It is a promise of a life started over, a new life. The promise of the gospel is the opposite of what we experience in our own world. It is the promise of an abundant life, an abundant life that can never be lost. Like the parables that come before it. The prodigal son is about our relationship with God. The promise of God's kingdom is that reconciliation with God is not risky. It's guaranteed. In God's kingdom, we are always, every single time, welcome home, no matter what no matter what. Now imagine if this theology is what mattered most in our lives. If we believe that we are always, every single time, beloved and chosen, how does that change our relationships? The parable also reveals how God's love has the power to change us. The father says twice, For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found! Exclamation point. By his return, the prodigal son receives this new life. It is an opportunity to try again, to do things differently. And the same is true for us. Every time we turn back, we get a new start. Imagine if this theology is what mattered most in our lives. If we believe that coming close to God's kingdom in Jesus gives us new life, how does that change our lives? I like to imagine it this way. Every Sunday morning, we get up and have our regular Sunday routine. We enter into this cathedral. And over the span of about an hour, we listen to our family stories. We say our prayers together. We share a meal. And at the end, we greet each other on our way back out into the world. And then, throughout the week, We have, well, I have, my moments that resemble the other brother. Moments when I somehow begin to imagine that dignity is a limited commodity. And I begin to lose my way. And then the most remarkable thing happens. We return. We find ourselves drawn close to God's kingdom. We come back, sit in our pew, listen to our family stories, say our prayers, share a meal. And I pray that every Sunday I leave here transformed, if only just a smidge. I pray that as I recommit myself to Christ's way, I move a bit out of my human rut. I pray that when I come close to God's kingdom here, it makes an indelible mark on my life. Because God meets us here. Even if we enter like the Pharisees and the scribes, judging and banishing all those who we have decided are not worthy to come close even if we enter with a heavy heart, carrying the weight of our oppression or the knowledge of our own sinfulness. God meets us here and relieves us of those burdens, even if only for a moment. God reaches down and raises us up. Welcome home. I'm so glad you're here. Come. Christ says, sit down, take your rest. Have something to eat and drink. It's the best food I can offer. And stay. Stay as long as you can. Surely this changes us. Even if we share in the other brothers' resentments God invites us to lean in, come close, lean away from the world, lean in to one another. Come close to grace, mercy, and love, to joy and hope. For the more we receive God's grace and mercy, we become more graceful and merciful. The more we seek God's way, the closer we come to God's kingdom. The more we accept God's grace and mercy, we are ministers of God's reconciling love. And that is good news, the best news. Thanks be to God.